0: The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we will uh, uh, just kind of recap to help us regather our attention to where we need to be here tonight. In Revelation chapter 18, um, uh, uh, we looked through the first eight verses or so a couple weeks ago, verses 1 through 8, and uh, saw uh, this judgment on Babylon, the uh, physical Babylon, come to fruition as well, as we've talked about, looked at several Old Testament passages uh, that prophesied that, which we'll review again as we go along. But let's start off with that outline, of course of the book of the of Revelation that John got back in chapter number uh, one and verse number 19. Chapter one, verse number 19, uh, the uh, Lord Jesus Christ said to John on uh, the Isle of Patmos, he says, here's what I want you to write. I want you to write first about the things that you saw, and uh, that covers the things found in chapter number one. Then he says, I want you to write the th- about the things that are, and that covers the events in chapter two and chapter three, and uh, it is pl- it is present uh, in the fact that it says, all." Oh, because uh, the events, although they took place, Uh, several thousand years ago, uh, somewhere in the span of 95 AD or so, um, we find that the prophetic meaning has everything to do with the church age as well, as we discussed as we went through those chapters, the chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then begin with chapter 4 all the way in through the end of the book, and we find uh, the uh, Lord Jesus Christ telling John to write the things that are after these things. So this is after the church's rapture uh, from this earth. And of course, uh, we as believers who are here tonight, we will not experience the event from chapter 4 onward until the last part when we return with the Lord, of course. And uh, so all of the events that we've been discussing thus far, and even tonight, we won't have to worry about, but we understand here this evening that the Lord has a plan, and His plan always comes to fruition and always takes place. And so uh, we are coming back here to this last uh, vile or bold judgment and tribulation, and uh, we've looked at them as we've gone along here. And this last one, it uh, involves this ba- second phase of the battle of the War of Armageddon. And it covers everything from chapter 16, 17, and 18. But chapter 16 and 17 kind of go back even and reference these other vile judgments or bold judgments as well. And so we use these to try to help us keep track of where we're going. And and uh, so instead of thinking about the battle and the events as... Um, Uh, happening at one particular moment. Uh, Think of it as uh, one event after another, and one thing uh, kind of setting off the next thing, and that next thing setting off the next thing. As we said a couple weeks ago, like a row of dominoes, right? And uh, when one falls, the next one falls right into the next one, the next one falls. And so as these events start to unfold, that's what's taking place. And as the final bowl judgment or vile judgment is bowled out, um, he's pushing his finger along that. That first domino, if you may, going into the next one and setting into motion all that's going to take place. We understand, though, that as these are all taking place, that these these events and these catastrophic uh, situations are taking place, it's uh, bringing destruction uh, to uh, all of the Gentile cities of the world. And uh, the only thing that's really left is going to be Jerusalem, uh, where the Lord is going to return to. And at this current moment, as we're reading in chapter 18, Uh, one major Gentile uh, stronghold, if you want to put it that way, and that would be the city of Babylon. And as you see depicted there from that art there before us. Now, of course, we understand that uh, Babylon nowadays is just ancient ruins, and and uh, but during the tribulation, it will have risen again. It will have uh, become a place of prominence, and, and pretty much we're seeing uh, where everything began, it's going to end. Think back to Daniel chapter 2, of course, with that statue that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his vision, and uh, it started with Babylon there, and all the way through the different uh, empires that would, uh, would have a part to play in this time that we know as the age of the Gentiles, where Jerusalem would be under control by a Gentile or not have full control of their own uh, land, at least. Uh, they would be uh, persecuted uh, by Gentile nations during this time. And obviously, we see all this still taking place. Uh, but and when everything is said and done, like I said, where, where it all began, it's kind of All of the efforts and all of the events are focused in that same general vicinity as well in that area of Mesopotamia, uh, particularly where we would find Babylon as well. And uh, we, that's where we said Satan's headquarters were. That's where uh, sin originated. And that's where all the things that we have going on had been taking place. But we've seen, uh, of course, back in chapter 17, God bring a destruction uh, upon what we were calling spiritual Babylon or, the, the, or what Babylon Uh, exemplifies what Babylon represents, spiritually speaking. And uh, we understand that Babylon represents everything uh, spiritually that is in opposition to our Lord and where our Lord is absolute truth and He's perfect love, uh, Satan and Babylon, it represents everything that is opposite to that. So we, it represents all of the world religions of our world today. By, uh, where we stand today, they go by many different names, and you could put it, uh, uh, one name name after name after name after name, and they're all shades of a, uh, uh, of a similar color, if you want to put it that way. But in the end, what it all boils down to is the fact that all of the other religions of the world, they all are, in essence, the same. They're false. They're they are a phony. They're a fake. And there's the only one true religion. That's the religion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so, in essence, what you have is the battle of good against evil. You have the battle of east versus west. You have the battle of God versus everything that is opposite to Him as well. And so... At the end of this age, at the end, when everything's coming to an end, we find that it's no longer going to be, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I'm a Buddhist, and yeah, I'm this or that. It's either I follow Jesus or I follow Satan, the Antichrist, because at this, come this point, they've had to make the choice. Do we take the mark? and uh, worship the beast because of it? Or uh, do we stand firm and stay true with what the Lord has uh, has stated? And we believe that. And so everything that involves this part of the pie collectively comes together to unite as a kingdom of its own, if you may. And uh, that is the kingdom that Babylon is wanting to, to, uh, to control. And uh, the Antichrist makes his home there in Babylon and takes care of things there. Uh, but we find even In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, as we said a couple weeks ago, uh, it said, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. See, we've been delivered out of that power of darkness as believers, and we're not under the stronghold that Satan would have any longer. But those who have not accepted Jesus, they're going to believe this lie, and they're going to continue on uh, following after uh, this, this falsehood. And in chapter 17, it opens up with the symbols that show us how the end of the age of the Gentiles is connected to the destruction of Babylon. We discussed all of those things as well. We saw a woman, as we saw in that vision or the symbol, uh, riding on the beast, and, and it shows all the rulers as well. We discussed that during that time uh, as we went through chapter number 17. We won't take time to belabor that point here tonight. But as we moved into chapter number 18 a couple weeks ago, uh, we find that the Lord has, uh, has brought an end. He's bringing an end to spiritual Babylon. He's a, he's a, a full-on attack a assault against uh, any of the f- uh, falsehoods of religion that might be around at that time. All that remains now is going to be these physical locations. The, the Lord Jesus is about to return here in just a ch- chapter or so, we're going to start reading about that and all the, the events that are taking place. And the Lord is using this as His opportunity to be able to bring into place everyone and everything that He wants to have accomplished. You say, why, why is everything happening in such a way? Why doesn't, uh, why doesn't uh, He just come back? And I mean, the world as it stands today, why doesn't He just come back and, and take control? Well, I mean, in, in essence, you could think of it this way, by centralizing everything, he comes in and with one fell swoop, he takes, it all, uh, takes care of everything. It, the way it is today, there's all these religions, pretty much making the same, same case necessarily, but all these different religions, he'd have to come in and take care of this temple and take care of that religious system. And this one, he's he centralized it to one place and uh, he, he's going to come back and he's going to take care of it all at one time. But Revelation 18, if I want to remind you, we said it serves as like um, a song of lamentation, right? Uh, a, a, a time of sorrow over the demise and the destruction of Babylon. Well, we might scratch our head and wonder why are they sorrowing? Why is there issues? I'm, I'm actually draw your attention to chapter uh, 18 and look at verse number 3. Um, it says in verse number three, for all nations have drunken of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of earth have committed fornication. And uh, it says in uh, fornication with her. And then it says, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So three groups of individuals have been mentioned here. It tells us all of the nations, those who would receive from from Babylon's wealth and what it has uh, to offer. All of the leaders of the world have benefited as well. All of the merchants, those who owned and and were able to sell at that time have have, uh, been the ones that have been benefiting from it. But we've learned that God actually uses these people to bring about the destruction of Babylon. And it's interesting to note because we've already learned that the Lord said that that He was allowing the kings of earth the leadership of earth, the the, the the rulers of nations of the earth to give their power and authority over to the Antichrist for a period of time, though, he said, until the work of the Lord be completed and be finished. And so everyone thinks that they are benefiting from giving their power, giving their authority over to the beast, when in essence, in, in actuality, they're just walking right into the plan of God to be able to accomplish his own work. And as we've seen even last week, what we find is that Babylon uh, is left alone by, as, uh, in this case, that the Antichrist. He's left Babylon. He's there uh, sitting in the Jezreel Valley getting ready for this war to take place. And it's actually these people who had given him their power and authority that turned their back on him. They bring a coup against him, if you may and they come to attack uh, Babylon, and they destroy it. But then later on, in just a moment, we're going to read that after everything's said and done, they weep over Babylon. It's like, what's going on, and what is wrong with these people? But we see that this is all part of God's master plan. And so as we're considering the fact of this, uh, this song of lamentation, uh, this uh, funeral dirge of, of Babylon, we likened it to having three stanzas. And we looked at stanza one a couple weeks ago. And uh, I know the screen says one through 24. We won't read the whole chapter. Let's pick up actually in verse number nine and uh, read on. And we'll recap what we looked at the first, first eight verses in just a moment. But look at verse number nine. It says, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Now, we saw these kings back in verse number 3, remember? We said that these kings had actually benefited from what was taking place and had uh, had given the authority over to, the, uh, to um, uh, the Antichrist. But look at verse number 10. "'Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, "'Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, "'for in one hour is thy judgment come.'" And the merchants, there again, we found them back in verse number three as well. They shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Verse number 12 says... The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and, uh, and thine and, uh, and all thine wood and all manner uh, vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and, and, and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and, and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that uh, thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were uh, dainty and goodly uh, are, are, are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich of her by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood far off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her coastlines. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. And uh, the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were uh, the great men of the earth. For by their sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Our Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to be here. Would you please help us as we study your word here tonight? uh, Guide us, give us direction, speak through me, and Lord, help us to hear from your word as we learn tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple weeks ago, as we looked at stanza one, covering verses one through eight, I'll just hit some highlights before we enter into this chapter uh, 18 of verses nine through 24 to end up the chapter. But we find that the chapter opened up with a phrase that's familiar, uh, one that we've seen elsewhere as well. It's the phrase, after these things. And it implies a cause and effect because of what we've already seen and what has been done. This is the effect of all of that. And the angel declares that the city will be so utterly destroyed uh, and so utterly devastated that it will be left uninhabitable forever. We read in verse number two back to that as well. Uh, we referenced Isaiah 13. We looked at Jeremiah 51 as well in uh, showing some, uh, some uh, Old Testament prophecies uh, pointing to that fact. And the destruction of Babylon, the great, it's going to result in the place being forever uh, remaining uninhabitable except for unclean animals and, and, uh, and demonic spirits as well. Of course, we understand as we have studied through that, the, that the great city Babylon itself it was surrounded by great walls, right? And we had an artist rendition of that and, and what it might have looked like. And it had a, a natural uh, fortitude to it as well. The Euphrates River uh, ran through it, and so it had a, a mighty moat that would help to uh, keep the enemies out. But when the uh, enemies came and were able to block up the river upstream and the river dropped, they were able to then uh, move in uh, down uh, through the... the, the uh, the hiding of the river uh, through that valley there and entering through the gates. And they came in almost uh, unannounced and without anyone uh, even knowing that they were there until it was also too late to be said. And so that was when the Medes came in, right? And that's when the uh, Medes came in for uh, taking over from Babylon and and, and, uh, taking over into their uh, reign as we looked at that statue, the second part of it as well. So we understand that this prophecy of Revelation 18 and the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah couldn't be speaking that of of the Medes conquering of Babylon because when the Medes came, there wasn't much bloodshed at all. They came in, they snuck up on them, they took them all captive, and they just took over from there. But what we read here in Revelation 18 in the first few verses and then in Jeremiah and Isaiah says there's a bloodbath that took place. And so, obviously, it's not the same thing. It's not. The, it's. It's not prophesying about the Medes and the Persians coming into power. Uh, in fact, we find that it's actually talking about a future event. So. That now comes to the time to end all that was being discussed. That's in chapter 18, verses 4 through 8, as we looked at. And verse number 4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, uh, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sin, that ye receive not her plagues. And we find that God is giving warning to those who had trusted him who had fled, and they hadn't received the mark of the beast yet. But somewhere, somehow, they're, they're still making it. They're, they're not able to buy. They're not able to sell. They're hiding out places, but they're going to be in this region of Mesopotamia, this region of Babylon. And so God warns them that they must flee, they must leave, or else they'll be a part of what takes place. And we understand also that there's a principle in the Word of God that when God pours out His, uh, His full judgment... He's going to protect those who are His. Now, that isn't to say that we won't ever experience uh, punishment uh, for for wrong. That isn't to say that we don't have to deal with sin in this sin-cursed world. We still do. But what I'm saying, when God pours out His full, unadulterated wrath, He will protect His own. Why? Because Christ took His wrath on the cross for you and I. And we won't experience the wrath that God's going to pour out because of sin, the final wrath. And when God pours out His final wrath here in Babylon, He warns His own so that they will not have to experience it. Where are they going to flee to, though? Well, the only place that's left is Jerusalem. And so the Jews still living in Babylon, uh, those who haven't taken the mark of the beast, they flee to the city uh, because of God's warning. And uh, when those Jews hear and believe the call from heaven and flee, uh, only those who have the mark of the beast are left. And so they're going to experience this judgment. They're going to experience this torment, as we read there in Jeremiah 51 a couple weeks ago. When they arrive, these Jews arrive in Jerusalem, uh, these uh, refugees, if you wanted to call them that, from Babylon, they share the news with the other Jews that the uh, city's about to be destroyed. And that's what we start reading through the rest of this, and others start hearing about this as well. Then in chapter 7, I'm sorry, in verse number 7 of Psalm 37, uh, verse 7 of Psalm 30, 137, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, we found that the psalmist asked the Lord to remember the day of Babylon, ordered that, and remember the day that they, the Babylon ordered Jerusalem to be destroyed and to be uh, just brought down uh, to its end. And uh, that was why this judgment's going to take place. All of this is coming back. All of this is God taking care of what had taken place because of Babylon in the times past as well. And so the city will be destroyed as a punishment, as we discussed already, uh, for the history that the city had about opposing Israel, about opposing the things of God, just as God attacked spiritual Babylon for its opposition to him and his truth. We find that he attacks physical Babylon because of this opposition to his truth and to his people uh, of uh, of Israel as well. Isaiah, he delivers um, a word against Babylon and uh, Isaiah describes how uh, it's going to be destroyed. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Again, in Jeremiah 51 verses 1 through 4, he describes it as well. And these prophecies are all about the ultimate destruction of Babylon. And what's it say? That it's going to come to a complete and utter end, that no one else is going to inhabit it ever again, and uh, so we discussed, though who would bring such an attack, like who would, in their right mind, would try to come up against the most powerful people, the most powerful army in the world of that day. Well, Jeremiah tells us that the attacks will come from the north and will consist of great nations and of many kings. Let me read that verse again just to get us back on track here tonight. In Jeremiah 51, verses 27 through 28, he says, Set ye up a standard in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call together against her the kingdom of of Ariat many, uh, Ashnanaz, appoint the captain against her, cause the horse to come up as, uh, as the rough caterpillars, prepare against her the nations uh, with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. So Jeremiah, he names uh, these uh, nations that God has chosen, that God has set apart to be able to be used to bring this attack. And uh, we understand that while come the time of tribulation that will have dwindled down to only 10 rulers. And remember the 10 crowns and all that. And, and so we understand that to be, to be the case. But even though there's only 10 world rulers at the beginning, uh, we understand it's going to, to uh, encapsulate a major portion of the earth. And uh, there's go- what we know as the division of nations and countries and everything today is going to look a lot different come that day. And uh, so d- although that be the case, that doesn't mean that in a short period of time that culture is going to be different. For instance, all right, let's just, we, we heard about last week with Brother Minton. If uh, the Russians were to come into Ukraine and to get full control of Ukraine, does that mean that all of the Ukrainians are all of a sudden, day one, going to become Russians and act like Russians? Obviously not. They're going to have a bit of their culture, even though still intact, even though uh, they are technically of a new nation now at that point, right? And so in much the same way, we're going to find, I believe that's going to be the case in that day. And uh, because of that, when the Antichrist leaves Babylon, when he's, when he's set up there in the Jezreel Valley, ready for this great war and this battle that's going to take place, then these nations who remember and still have some culture, remember, you know, what it was like to be free, to have their own ways and to do their own things, they, just, they, they decide to have this coup, and they come against him. And so here's a map of some of the things of, of how it might have been. And so he speaks of particularly, um, he speaks of, uh, let's see, he speaks of um, Ariat, which would be t- Turkey today, uh, Mini which would be Armenia, uh, Ashkenaz, which would be the southern Russia or Black Sea area, and then, of course, the Medes, uh, and that of uh, Iran, uh, that area of Iran. So God's judgment on Babylon, it starts in a very ordinary way. It starts with just armies invading and armies attacking. As the Antichrist, as the beast has left, they come in and they they come in to, to, to wipe things out and to show their power and their might as well. So once God is ready to judge Babylon, He causes those who He set apart to do His bidding, the kings of the earth, and turn against them. And so that's where we left off last week. We've seen this last vile judgment, this last bold judgment, the great city being destroyed, uh, this second phase of the battle, a hailstorm, an earthquake has taken place in chapter 16, the uh, end of spiritual Babylon in chapter 17. Now these armies invade and are destroying physical Babylon as it goes along. But that was stanza one of this uh, funeral dirge of of Babylon. Stanza two is found in verses nine through 19. And for the sake of time, we won't read those other, these verses again. We'll pick them up as we go along here tonight. But God's destruction uh, of Babylon has left the be- the city in ruins. Right, it is completely destroyed, uninhabitable. The only ones that are there are are unclean animals, uh, vultures, if you may, scavenger animals looking for uh, the the uh, flesh of dead carcasses, whatever they can feast off of, like a a uh, unclean animal would. The city is burning, and everything uh, in the city has been laid to waste. Ruin is complete. And then, as we've seen already, as if you picked up on it, I've, I kind of pointed it out, all three classes of individuals that were mentioned back in verse number three, they begin to realize what this means. See, they, they benefited, right? They benefited from Babylon when they were able to sell and Babylon bought from her, from, from them. They benefited because Babylon was the one that controlled everything. And if they didn't team up with Babylon, if they didn't take the mark, then they couldn't buy or sell. So they benefited because of Babylon being in existence. The kings or the rulers of the world benefited because so long as they were in step with Babylon, they kept their power and their prestige. But it came a point where they said, you know what? I don't like being the second dog. I don't like being second fiddle. I I I think we could do a better job. And so they step in, and they come together with a great and mighty army, and they say, we'll wipe the Babylon out, and with, with the headquarters destroyed, we'll be in a place where we'll be able to, to step up, we'll, we'll, we'll gain power, and we'll just take control over th- over, uh, of things, over the Antichrist, over the beast. But when the destruction is over, it was, it's very quick to realize, man, we've made a mistake. Because now look at what it says in verse number 9. In verse number nine, it says, the kings of the earth mourn for the loss of their most important city because of the political power that came from the control within her. In verse number nine, it says, on the kings of earth who had committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. It's like a light bulb goes off and says, this isn't going to work out the way we planned. See, we, where are we going to go now? What's, where's the only place left? Jerusalem, right? <laughs> And so where is the Antichrist held up? In the Jezreel Valley, just outside, ready for the war to take place. And so they begin to realize that they've made a mistake. Verse number 11 talks about the merchants as well and who mourn the loss because now they are, uh, their, their trade and the their wealth that was associated with that great city has been broken down and torn to pieces. Verses 15 and 17 talks about the working class. It speaks specifically of those who are on ships and, and sell by the sea. But the working class that had profited from the city, they are mourning the loss as well. But notice that this destruction, it isn't something that is a long, drawn-out process. It's actually something that takes place rather quickly. Because in three different occasions throughout this chapter, it tells us, the Bible tells us that the destruction of this city Babylon took place in an hour. Now I, I'm not sure that it means a literal hour as much as it is trying to speak of the fact that it was a quick destruction and a utter destruction. But the 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 it, this is the fact that the kings who led the invasion are most likely also the same ones that are mourning over her as we've been saying. That it's like a realization that this was not the best choice. It's like what was I thinking? You ever been there? You ever done something and then immediately regretted it afterwards? Like, what was I thinking? That's the, the, the idea that these kings and these merchants and these uh, laborers have. Like, why did I sign up for this? What was I thinking? And what it comes to f- the fact is that it shows God's sovereignty and it shows his power and his control, even over those who don't know him as their savior as well. The kings and the merchants and the laborers, they're described as even standing at a distance. Why? Because they don't want to partake or they don't want to experience the judgment and the destruction and uh, the loss that Babel and the great had experienced. And so they are uh, at a distance because of the fear that they see in her torment as they experience the judgment of the bull that uh, we saw earlier. Uh, Can you give me that slide there? Click on it, it's not going back for me. There we go. As they see this vile, this bold judgment poured out, they're seeing and understanding how it is destroying Babylon and, and all that it means. And so, We saw that judgment mentioned briefly earlier in the chapter in verse number 8. Draw your attention there again. It says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. Shall she be utterly burnt with fire, and for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Back in chapter 16 in verse number 9. Uh, we were told that this judgment would result in the city being divided as well. Take your Bibles back to Revelation 16 and verse number 19. Verse Revelation 16, verse number 19. It says, "And that and the great city was divided into three parts, and the city of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath." Jeremiah, he provides a nice two verse summary of uh, both parts of this judgment against this great city, both the spiritual and physical judgment. And in Jeremiah 51, verses 28 and 29, uh, the prophet writes, Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion, and the land shall tremble and sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon, to make the land a desolation, without an inhabitant. So, Jeremiah says the nations will rise up against her while the land quakes, while it rise, while it's uh, in, uh, it, it has, uh, it specifically says in sorrow and in trembling. And so, the nations rose up against Babylon and then the Lord destroyed the city when they tried to set up their power, when they tried to set up their, their ability, when they tried to take control. The Lord destroys it supernaturally through these final bold judgments. And so finally now the city receives its a brief eulogy, if you may, with stanza number three in verses 20 through 24. Let's read those quickly. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of millstone shall uh, be heard no more at all in thee and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom, then of the bride, shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Stanza three, the angel comes and he says he takes a great millstone and uh, throws it into the sea. And obviously a large stone, what's going to happen to it when it's thrown into a body of water? It's going to sink. It's going to sink right to the bottom. And uh, he says particularly it's going to sink so that it will never be found again. It says in verse number 21 at the end that it shall be found no more at all. And uh, the enemy and uh, all of his power and work on the earth is going to be con- completely vanquished. It's going to be forgotten. And that's the exact picture. That's the exact idea that God wants for everyone to understand, for His people to have in their minds when they think about Babylon's future. That's what God wants you to understand tonight as we think about what is taking place in our world today and understand the future. Have you ever been there and you don't raise your hand or anything like that? You don't uh, need to attest out loud to this at all. But maybe you've been there where you've thought, why does it always seem like the bad guys always win? Why does it always seem like those that are always only about themselves and uh, like, we, I mean, it's a f- common phrase, uh, no good deed uh, good deed goes unpunished, right? Like, so when we try to do something good, then it always seems like that something negative happens because of it. And then you got these people over here that are never trying to do anything good, except for what they think is good for themselves. They're selfish, they're prideful, it's all about them. They're climbing the corporate ladder, stabbing people in the back, and it seems like they're always the one that's moving forward. They're always the one that's benefiting, and it seems like they're, that... Uh, <sighs> Honestly, it just doesn't seem like that it's fair that people who try to do things the way God says to do them, they get mocked and they get laughed at and they don't get, uh, they don't get the benefit. But these people that don't care anything about God, they're, getting, they're living luxur- luxuriously. They've got great things and it just doesn't seem right. What God wants us to remember, that no matter what it might seem like on this side of heaven, that in the end, this is their future. Those that don't have Christ, those that don't know God, this is their future, utter destruction. For Babylon and everything that it, does, that it represents of being opposite of God and everything that opposes God, it's going to be utterly destroyed. And for anyone who doesn't know God as their Savior, utter destruction in outer darkness in a place called hell is their end. And that's what God wants us to remember tonight. He wants us to understand that no matter what we might think, when we think of Babylon's future, when we think of evil's future, it is this, utter destruction and completely forgotten. And my friends, that day is coming sooner than you think. Now, I'm I'm not here to say that it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to give you 23 reasons why the Lord's returning in 2023 or anything like that. But what I am saying is that we are much closer to the day than we were yesterday. And we're much closer to the day than we, they were in John's day. And I believe that it is coming very, very soon. As a final footnote, though, what do you suppose that the Antichrist is thinking about all of this while he sees this taking place? He's, he's set up there in the, in the Jezreel Valley. He's getting ready for this, this attack. He's getting ready for this great war. Well, Jeremiah actually gives us a glimpse into, I believe, what the Antichrist thinks about all of this as his stronghold, as his uh, headquarters has been destroyed. In Jeremiah 51 and verse number 31, it says, One post shall run to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon. Who's the king of Babylon? The beast, the Antichrist, right? He's, uh, he's, uh, he, so one messenger to meet the other, to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end. In Jeremiah 50 in verse 43 it says the king of Babylon hath heard the report of them and his hands waxed feeble anguish took hold of him and pangs as a woman in travail. You know what that means? He's not too happy about it. He he is not excited about the messages he's receiving. And the Bible says messenger after messenger travels and transfers the news of his city's fall. And, and I want to just, here's just a, a note as well. Back in Jeremiah 51 and verse number 31, it says, One post shall what? run to meet another. And it says, and one messenger to meet another. Note the uh, just the primitive forms of communication that is being spoken of. Obviously, this is in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, but it's prophetic in nature as well. And i just wonder if that's just not a sign into all that has taken place. Consider the great destruction that has taken place during the time of tribulation. I don't think there's going to be many emails sent during this day. I, I, don't, I don't know that the internet's going to work at that time. And so it's just a foreshadowing of, hey, all the advancement that man's knowledge seemingly has brought about, it just is going to go right back. It kind of reminds me of what we've been speaking about on Sunday mornings, right? That Paul's trying to remind the church at Corinth that, hey, an eternal focus is greater than a temporal one, that God's ability is greater than man's ability, that God's message is greater than... Me- See, over and over again, we find throughout Scripture where, we, where man thinks that he's got it all together, and God just kind of sits back and says, ha, huh, let me show you something. And where we've kind of seen all these advancements, I think there's going to be a time where it's going to revert all the way back, and it's going to be literal messengers on foot running to give this message and and bringing this message. So when the Antichrist hears this news that the city is gone, he's distressed, he's experiencing agony, and now he and his armies have no choice. They've got to attack Jerusalem. They were held up waiting to be able to accomplish that, but now Jerusalem is the last city standing on the earth. And destroying the Jews is going to be the enemy's last hope for rescuing himself. We've discussed already. He understands that his time is coming to an end. It's very short. And he thinks his only hope is to be able to destroy the Lord when he returns. But in actuality, what has happened? The Lord's actually baited him to being exactly where he wants to be. Uh, I think of some of it, maybe you've hunted or, or whatever the case might be. Uh, if you've ever done any deer hunting, you don't just go out willy-nilly out into the, uh, into the woods and hope that you find something. Not if you want to be successful anyways. You go out there, you do some scouting. You, you, uh, you, you, if you're going to set up a tree stand, you hang it. You cut some tr- shooting lanes and all of those things to get it ready. But you're wanting to set up along a route where that game is naturally, regularly traveling whether it be between water or food or bedding or whatever, because you want to be where they're going to be coming. Well, the Lord kind of just made it to where, hey, there's no other choice, but this is exactly where He wanted them to be. And the Lord is moving the Antichrist steadily toward His own destruction in Jerusalem at the Lord's return. And the the second stage of this war of Armageddon, as we saw in that graph, it's coming to an end. Stage three is going to set up the time for the Lord's return, as we see in chapter number 19. But as I close tonight, let me just have you think of it this way, that the Babylon of the Bible might be considered as what uh, poet Ella Wheeler Wilcox described or called Vanity Fair today. In in the poem, describes a world that promised much, but in the end... It delivered very little. And her words actually could serve as a commentary over these last couple of chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 18 of Revelation. Let me share it with you, Vanity Fair. It says, at Vanity Fair, as we bow and smile, as we talk of opera after the weather, as we chat of fashion and tint and style, we know we are playing a part together. You know that the mirth I wear, I borrow. I know your smile is a mask of sorrow. We know that under the silks and laces and a back of beautiful laughing faces lie secret trouble and dark despair at Vanity Fair. At Vanity Fair on dress parade, our colors are bright and our sabers gleaming. But you know my uniform's worn and frayed, and I know your weapons, despite their seeming, are dull and worthless and badly battered. The close inspection, that close inspection will show how tattered. And stained are the banners that flaunt above us. That comrade, comrades hate while they swear they love us. That robe like pleasures, pleasure walk gaunted eye care at vanity fair. At vanity fair as we strive for place. As we push and jostle and crowd and hurry. We know the result is not worth the race. We know the prize is not worth the worry. That in fighting for self we must wound each other that much of our gain means loss for another, that the crown of bay leaves fades while it presses, the brow of the victor with thorns not caresses, that, that, uh, that honors are empty and worthless to wear at Vanity Fair. My friends, I'm reminded of what Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? See, Mankind, they chose here. What we're seeing is they chose temporary comfort and ability and here and now. And now they're bewailing it. Now they are feeling sorrowful for the choices that they've made. Because in the end, the Lord is victorious, and anything that opposes him is not. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how we can know that you have a plan and that your plan is is true and right and that it will come to an end. And Lord, I ask now, as as we've asked several times before, that you would help us as we consider the word tonight that if you've got a plan that's going to happen in the future, we know that you've got a plan now for us today. Help us to yield to you and surrender so that we might be able to serve you all of our days, that we might be able to lift you up in honor honor and glorify you through our lives and our testimonies of you. And Lord, I I just ask now that you'd help this uh, time in your word to have just once again uh, encouraged and strengthened our faith in you as a God who is all-powerful and in control. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.